1738, a group of ordinary people who were living along the Atlantic coast of Nantucket Island got sick and tired of watching people die. Within a mile of the shore, they would watch ship after ship after ship hit the rocks, split apart, and innocent people would lose their lives. And they got tired of doing nothing, so they decided to do something. They started what became known as the Original Humane Society. Before it was cats and dogs, which I think is cool, it was people. It was people. They started saving lives. They built what were known as huts of refuge along the shore. They would put a boat inside. I've actually got a picture of one of the original ones. Here's number 10, and you'll see the sign, the Massachusetts Humane Society. They would put a boat inside of there with some primitive life-saving equipment and 10 warm blankets. They posted volunteers up and down the coast. Here's a group of them getting ready to do a drill. They were going to go out that day and practice. And whenever they saw a ship in trouble, the word would go out to all of the volunteers and they would come and they would row out. They weren't paid. They weren't professionals. They were just people who cared about people who were dying. Didn't do it for money, didn't do it for fame, didn't do it for recognition. They did it because they valued life. And I love their motto. It's compelling and it just makes my heart go, what in the world? Their motto was this, you have to go out, you don't have to come back. That's incredible, isn't it? You have to go out. If somebody's drowning, you got to go out. Whether you come back or not, we don't know. You know, that's one of the stories that we've chosen kind of with how we define how we do church at Christ the King. Because those kind of people and that passion for lost people, it's a constant reminder to us that in our county, people are drowning. We can see them. And we actually feel like we are morally bound to do something about it. If you're a follower of Jesus, this might scare you, but I'm going to say it as boldly as I can. You have to go out. You don't have to come back. God has called us to do that. We've chosen to do this through small groups because we think that's the best way to get out there. We've chosen to do this together. Small groups are biblical, okay? I know some of you are just like, dude, I've heard this all before. Can you move on to a new theme? You're like a band with one song. You keep playing the same thing over and over again. I'll tell you what, when every single one of you get in a group, I'll stop talking. (laughs) No pressure, right? Small groups are biblical. We find them all the way through Scripture. Jesus had a small group of 12 the most dysfunctional group of human beings ever assembled on the face of the earth. And Jesus picked those 12 to start doing ministry with. He had an even smaller circle of three, Peter, James, and John. He worked together with them. And if you read through scripture, Jesus would draw huge crowds and he would minister to them, but that's not where his ministry stopped. In fact, when he wanted to do life together, when he was struggling, he would always gather his small little church And if that's the way Jesus did it, that's the way we should do it too. We find small groups in the original church, Acts chapter 5. I know so many of you, you've heard this so many times. Say it again, day after day in the temple courts, from house to house. They never stopped teaching or proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. They went house to house in small little pods with the same message over and over again. And the message was the same as the humane society. You don't have to drown. Jesus can actually save you. I listed in your program, again, the primary purposes of a small group. Some of you, it's just funny to watch because just people rolling their eyes. They're just like, really? One more time? Yes. Okay? <laughs> it's the primary purposes of a small group. Number one, it's a place to live out the one another commands. There are 50 separate one another commands in the New Testament. Actually, more than 50. 
Love one another. Be devoted to one another. Live in harmony with one another. Stop passing judgment on one another. Oh, there's a good one. We should learn that. Accept one another. Instruct one another. Agree with one another. There's a novel one for this day and age. Serve one another. Bear with one another. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Submit to one another. Forgive one another. Admonish one another. Encourage one another. Spur one another on to good deeds. And the one we talked about two weeks ago, offer hospitality to one another. Those are the commandments of God as to how his followers are supposed to do relationships. And we follow them around here for one reason. They work. They work. If you structure your relationships around these principles, here's what happens. You get to love people and you become more lovable. And some of you need to become a little more lovable. Just saying, okay? All right? (laughs) Number two, small groups are a place to give and receive. Every one of you has been given gifts and talents that are meant to bless other people and help them become a little bit more like Jesus. And if you don't use the gift, you're ripping off the rest of the church. Being in community, that's one of the primary ways that God wants to bless you. But it's also another one of the ways he wants you to bless somebody else. If you don't believe me, you should read Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8. You can do that on your own time. Number three, they're a place to grow. I mean, while we desire a a thriving personal relationship with God, we also know that we thrive in relationship with each other. And there's no shortcuts to friendship. God wants to use you to grow other people. If you don't believe me, you should read Matthew 22, 38 to 39. You can read that on your own time. Number four, they're a place to encounter God. Genesis 127, we see God creating. God creates us in his image. And a part of that image is birthed in community because God exists in a perfect community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three in one, one in three. You can't explain it, neither can I. If you say you can explain the Trinity, I'm saying you're lying. It's too complex. In fact, let me ask this question. If you can explain God, what kind of a God do you have? It's a beautiful community. And we've been called into that community to live it out with close relationships. Number five, small groups are a place to succeed where one alone would fail. I usually read this passage at a wedding, but it has broader implications for the family of God. Here it comes. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. If they fall, one will lift up his fellow or his friend. But woe to him who's alone when he falls and doesn't have another to lift him up. Though a man might prevail against one who's alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. The Bible keeps saying over and over and over again, for the love of God, be in this together. I'm going to add one more. So all five of those are in what we call our field manual for small groups, but I'm going to add one more. Number six is this. One of the purposes of small groups is to provide a place to belong for someone who's far from God. Let me say that again. It's to provide a place to belong for someone who's far from God. This is an empty stool. Somebody asked me last night, they said, Grant, a couple years ago, like you used to always teach sitting down, and then one day you just stood up. Why? I just said, it's because I kept wrecking the stools. (laughs) I've got this nervous habit. I kind of shake and quiver all over the place like that. I was literally wearing out the stools week after week. The budget couldn't handle it, so they told me to stand up. So I've been standing up ever since. (laughs) 
There you go, right? Some of you would look at this and say, it's just an empty piece of furniture, right? I'm like, nope. This is a place for somebody to belong. And you know what I love? Is God has placed places where someone could belong in the living room of every single person that's represented here today. The question is whether or not you'll let God use it or not. There is a limitless supply of places for people to belong, people who are far from God inside of all of your living rooms. We're just trying to access as many of them as possible. And I'll tell you something, this series has so far exceeded my expectations. Shame on me, bad pastor, for not having enough faith. We thought if we had 30 new host homes step up, that would be incredible. 50 was beyond our wildest dreams. Over 90 of you signed up to say, I'll create a place for people. That's crazy. That's crazy. Last week in the snow, we had 200 people sign up to get in a group for the very first time. That was crazy. If you missed last week, boy, go back on the internet and watch Brian and Katie's story. It will touch your heart in such a deep and profound way. We just want to find places for drowning people to find safety, acceptance, and rescue. If we don't believe that, we need to stop saying a few things around here. Because we say this a lot, always a place for you. If we don't have a place for people, we need to stop lying. We say people matter to God. If we don't actually mean that in a practical way where we can invite somebody into a journey to find Jesus, we should probably stop saying it. I think we've got to do this. We've got no choice. We have to go out. We don't have to come back. And let me tell you why. Because if we don't, we're going to end up just like the Humane Society. You see, after a couple of years of saving people, they handed off their mission to a group of professionals known as the Coast Guard. For the record, I love the Coast Guard and what you do. Okay? Don't get me wrong. But the original Humane Society lost their mission. And they dissolved into a very nice social group that used to meet inside of the huts of refuge and toast the days when they used to go out and save people's lives. They just weren't doing it anymore. They lost their mission and they lost their heart. So what does this have to do with us? If we give up on this mission of reaching the 200,000 people in this community who do not know Jesus, one day we're going to find ourselves sitting in this room toasting the days when people used to come to Jesus at Christ the King. May God forbid that ever happens here. I don't know about you, but I'm not interested in being a really, really nice group of people that looks after their own and never steps outside. You know what I want to be? I want to be stupid enough to trust God enough to get in a boat and go out not knowing whether or not I'm actually going to come back. Do you know that God loves that 200,000 people more than we ever could? In fact, I want to turn the corner here just a little bit. I want to make sure that you know from Scripture what God's plan is for reaching people who are far from God. I want you to know this because at some point, he's actually going to invite us into the process. So here's God's plan for reaching people who are far from God. Number one, you need to know God is consumed with seeking. We see it all through Scripture that God's a seeking God, that he's looking for lost and broken people to put them back together again and to restore them. In fact, he's taken it upon himself to make sure that he chases down each and every one of you. In fact, I'm going to tell you this. If you're a rebel and you're running from God today, give up. 
Take it from somebody who knows. He will chase you down. He will make your life so screaming miserable till you finally turn back to him. I'm just going to tell you, give up now. And if your grandma's praying for you, give up sooner. (laughs) You're done. You can't win. Listen to God's heart in Ezekiel 34. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he's with them, so I will look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all of the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. When it comes to lost people, this is personal for God, and it should be personal for us. Luke 15, classic example of God searching a lost coin, a lost sheep, a lost son, and every one of them painting an image of God as a 24-7, consumed beyond reason, seeker of people. Luke 19, verse 10, for the Son of Man, another fancy name for Jesus, the Son of Man has come to seek and save that was, which was lost. So you come today and you're going, Grant, I've been praying for my mom for decades. So is Jesus. Amen. I've been praying for my lost brother for months. Jesus has been praying for him his whole life. Amen. God has been seeking their heart longer than you ever could. And when you think you've exhausted every effort or invitation for them to come to know Jesus, you need to know that he came to that point and then actually stepped across the line of death in order to prove to what great lengths he was willing to go to to save them. Now, I'm not going to get into a theological argument as to how God seeks and saves somebody. I think these arguments are just exhausting, right? On one extreme, you've got people saying, well, this is how it works. God elects people beforehand who are chosen for his kingdom, and therefore I don't need to do anything because God's going to draw everyone to himself. Then you've got people on the other end of the spectrum saying there's free will, and God's just hoping that somebody actually sweeps in like a holy hitman and mows people down with the truth, and they argue about free will and sovereignty and free sovereignty. And I can just picture Jesus standing in heaven going, are you serious? You want to fight about this? Really? You've got to be kidding me. And when he's done laughing, I think he probably cries over the fact the churches have actually split over this issue. And all he wants us to know is that he is seeking the heart of every last person on earth. And he wants us to be a partner. He wants us to be a partner because here's number two. God includes us in the process and he includes us in the process through prayer. Write it down, underline it, circle it. Second Corinthians chapter four, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. I'm gonna tell you something I've learned from experience. No one in this room is strong enough to tear the spiritual blinders off of someone. You're not strong enough to tear them off, but you can pray them off. You can pray them off. God invites us to pray for people, our family, our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers, even though they seem resistant. God says pray. I heard the best story from a small group this week. Guy gets into a small group. During the prayer time, because we're supposed to pray for each other, he says this, I don't like my job. I don't know why I'm there. I need God to show me somehow, encourage me somehow that I'm in the right place at the right time. So the group prays around him. 
They pray over time, God, would you show our brother why he is in this particular place at this particular time? One day later, one day later, he's in the lunchroom. One of his coworkers pulls up a chair, sits down right beside him, and out of the blue says, can you tell me how to find God? Wow. Yeah. Yeah, God. Boom. <laughs> Drop the mic, we're done, right? Their prayers paid off. Let me put it this way. Prayer is the counter-offensive to spiritual blindness. Let me say that again. Prayer is the counter-offensive to spiritual blindness. So we pray the blinders off, and then we step into what I would call a divine appointment. 1 Corinthians 3, 5. What after all is Apollos? Let me make that modern. What after all is, is Grant Fishbook? What is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned to each his task. God has laid out a series of divine appointments for you this week. The question is whether or not you'll keep the appointment. He's got it all mapped out for you, opportunities for you to point people towards Jesus. The question is just whether or not you're going to actually show up and be obedient. They're right there in front of us. I shudder to think how many of these appointments I have missed because I was not listening when God was just like, just say it. Just say it. Andy lived in Alabama, and one summer, he decided to join a group of college students that were going to drive to a different city and host five-day clubs behind local neighborhood schools. One day, Andy met a little kid and the little kid told him that he'd been going to church his whole life. In fact, the kid thought the church was enough. And God whispered to Andy that, that this kid had all the religious answers, but he didn't know Jesus. So Andy actually asked him the kid, asked the kid after telling him the story of Jesus, do you really know Jesus? I don't care whether you go to church. Do you really know Jesus? And the kid said no. And Andy went and, and took that kid, and they went for a little walk, and they actually found a place to sit down and and there just happened to be a shadow coming off the back of the school, and there was a dividing line between light and shadow. And the kids sat in the shadow, and Andy sat in the light, and Andy used that picture to describe to this kid that shadow was like his sin, that it was completely covering him, but that Jesus, through his death on the cross, invited that kid to step into the light because Jesus was in the light, and that that light would invade his heart, and if he asked that his sins would be forgiven, and that he would be set free, and that God would use him some way, shape, or form. He talked about how Jesus was the light in the darkness, and at the end, he invited him to bow his head and accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, and the kid prayed, and to this day, I am so thankful that Andy showed up in Brandon, Manitoba, Canada, and hosted a five-day club behind Linden Lanes Elementary School. So a punk kid named Grant Ernest Fishbook, do not make fun of my middle name, uh, <laughs> so that he could finally get a clue that Jesus loved him. He's with us. And that's number three. 
God's plan for for reaching lost people is that God accompanies us in the process. Matthew 28, you've heard this, therefore go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely, underline the next couple of words, I will be with you to the very end of the age. He's in the process. So many of us are so afraid we're going to say the wrong thing. Do you know what gives me great comfort every weekend? The only thing you're going to hear out of my mouth is what God wants you to hear. And if he doesn't like my content, he'll plug your ears so you can't hear me. That gives me great comfort. That gives me great boldness. God's in the process, giving us the words, giving us encouragement. He never leaves us. I mean, why would God leave us to try and do all of this work on our own? It doesn't make any sense. When Laura was delivering our first child, I found out something about the whole labor and delivery thing that I had no clue about. So here's what I thought happened. I thought when I got to the hospital and pushed my wife in labor, in through the doors, in a wheelchair, that they would assign a doctor, multiple nurses, several techs, and whatever else we were going to need to look after her and wait on her hand and foot. That's what I thought was going to happen. Wrong. (laughs) You've never been a part of labor and delivery. You need to know this on the front end. They leave you alone for a long period of time while she's in labor. And that will freak you out, especially if you're a husband who doesn't know anything other than what they tell you to do on television, right? Boil water, get clean sheets. That's what you're supposed to do. I am freaked out. I'm like, I need a doctor. I need a nurse. I'll take the hospital plumber. I don't care. Just come in the room with me and help me get through this because I don't know how to help her. She has a contraction. I freak out. I got a question for you. Do you honestly think that God would leave us alone in the process of delivering spiritual infants? Not a chance. He's always saying, I'm right here. And we start making excuses. I don't know what to say. And Jesus says, that's okay, I'll talk through you. We say, well, what if they say no? Jesus said, it's okay. It's not your job to convince them of anything. You're supposed to plant the seed. We make excuses. I don't know if the, enough of the Bible. Jesus said, that's okay. I wrote it. <laughs> and I'll give you what you need when you need it. That's good. Number four. In God's plan for reaching lost people that we're going to create space for, God's responsible for the results. You're not responsible for the result. You're just responsible to be obedient and faithful. So am I. Only God can draw someone to himself and spiritually transform them. We just get to be a part of the process. So we're getting ready to wrap this up. Here's what I know in a room in this side. There, there, are, there are two different kinds of people here today. One kind of person is the one who just figured out that God's been calling you your whole life. You may have ignored him up to this point, but he just will stay on your case. My favorite nickname for Jesus is the hound of heaven. He will hunt you until you finally give because he loves you that much. Maybe you're here today, you're thinking, I didn't know God was looking for me. 
Maybe you shut off the voice a long time ago because you thought God was kind of like one of those persistent telemarketers that just keeps calling your phone over and over and over again. What I want you to know is he's going to call you over and over and over again, and he'll keep saying the same thing. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me and you. That's his message. You know, the other kind of person is somebody who's already been found. You just haven't found your place in God's family yet. And we want you to know we got a spot for you. Because you can't do this alone, neither can I. We've got to do this together. In May 2002, Leonardo Diaz was trying to climb a volcano called the Nevado del Ruiz in the Andes. A blizzard set in and Leonardo thought he was going to die because he was soon freezing to death. He had a prepaid cell phone in his pocket. Here was the problem. All the minutes had been used up. With no way of calling for help, Leonardo writes in his book that he just laid down to die. And then his phone rang. With hypothermia sitting in, or setting in, the Bell South Company called a customer and asked Leonardo whether or not he would like to purchase additional minutes on his plan with the credit card number that he had given to them some weeks earlier. He said yes. <laughs> and he probably never changed his carrier. He said yes, and they used his coordinates to pinpoint him and rescue him. For some of you, you think you're dying. And God's calling you today saying, you don't need to freeze or drown. My hope and prayer today is that you'll know that God's got a place for you to belong. That he has a job for you to do. That he wants your heart and he will not give up until he has you in his family. In your spot. So here's what we're going to do. In a moment, I'm going to pray. And we're going to invite some of you to take a crazy risk. I'm going to invite you to actually get in a group. If you all get in a group, I'll stop talking about this. <laughs> but we really do. We know we need to do this together. So in a moment, I'm going to pray. And I'm just going to ask God to put it on your heart. And then we're not going to have, it's not like a contest or anything, but I'm actually going to dismiss a group of people who want to get into it. I mean, just like, I want to get in. Just like the 200 that did last weekend. And we've had a crazy response this weekend. But you're just going to go, and here's what you're doing. You're going to walk to the back room. There's people there holding up signs. Pastor Brian's there, Pastor Ryan, Pastor Kevin, their whole crew, they're, they're back there. You're just going to walk across to the meeting place where there's a whole bunch of people that have these in their front room, and they'd like you to come and sit in them. They'd like to be a part of your journey as you're walking towards Jesus. And they'd like to... They'd like to share their journey with you because you've got something that you can also offer them. So we're going to give you an opportunity to go over there and check it out. And here's what we're going to do. While you're heading over there, we're all going to, the rest of us are going to stay in here and we're actually going to pray for you that God finds exactly the right spot for you. And we're going to trust him to put the pieces together. Okay, it's not a contest. It's not just like you have to. You don't have to do anything. But it's an opportunity 
for you to find a place to belong because I really, really want you to have one. Some of you are wondering, Grant, you practice what you preach? Yep. My wife and I are in a small group with a group of young marrieds. And, and we love those people. And they love us in return. It, it's kind of cool. We had to miss last Wednesday, and that was a little disappointing for us because we got snowed in. I mean, even by Canadian standards, that was a lot of snow up north. I'm just saying, okay? <laughs> you know why we missed it? It's because that's where we belong. That's where God put us. So would you pray with me right now? Father God, I pray. God, that people would just have courage to investigate it. Lord, they're not signing up for the rest of their life. They're basically just saying, for the next eight weeks, I'm going to find a place to belong. And I'm going to see where God takes me. So God, would you help, encourage, walk alongside of right now? God, and prompt people. Married couples, singles, high school students, college students seniors, everything in between. God, I pray that you just allow us to find a place to belong. And God, we'll trust you because you're the one who's seeking. May we be wise enough to follow. God, I pray for anyone in the room who's going to use this small group piece as a step to get to know you better and understand you, Lord. We pray more than anything that you would open up chair after chair after chair and that you would just inflame us once again to be a part of your rescue mission so that other people can meet the same Jesus who saved us. And we pray these things in your precious son's name. Amen.